And welcome to it. Welcome to something that's a little old and a little new. We're calling our new podcast Inside the Yard. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold back with you as not only we start this new podcast, but probably more importantly, Jeff Arnold, we start the 2020 baseball season. Been waiting for so long. It was so nice to get into the booth and call an exhibition game on Tuesday night. I saw all the procedures in place. The Orioles have done a great job of keeping everybody safe making sure that we get tested, um, which not every team is, is requiring uh, their personnel to do, but the Orioles want to make sure that we're staying tested, that everybody is staying safe who comes to the ballpark. It seems like a, a great setup, a great place. And uh, yeah, after some of our entertainment, I think involved uh, maybe calling some baseball games off of MLB Network and things like that, maybe some old Masson games, uh, it was nice to finally uh, do the real thing and also uh, start this podcast where we're, we're talking about the season uh, not only with members of the Orioles, uh, but also some of our great insiders. Yes, so every episode we will do one of each pretty much. Someone from the team, minor leagues, front office, coaching staff, you name it, we'll have it here on the podcast. Today we'll talk to Orioles 30-year-old right-hander Cole Solcer. More on that in a moment. And then our colleague Melanie Newman will join us uh, for our insider segment after that to uh, really talk about uh, the first uh, few days and week of the baseball season, but we have Cole Solster coming up. Interesting guy, Jeff, uh, a guy who, you know, in the professional baseball world has had nothing handed to him, uh, got in the big leagues last season with the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, trying to make this ball club for Baltimore, at least at some point uh, this season, but an unusual path to the big leagues because he went from his high school in Southern California to Dartmouth and then was eventually a 25th round pick and now is on a, hopefully for him, the verge of making a big league club. Not only did he go to Dartmouth, but he was a mechanical engineering major when he went to Dartmouth. And you don't hear a, a whole lot about those guys, but maybe the fact that he's more of a math and science type person, the reason why he can really appreciate all the analytics that the Orioles give to him and apply them to make him a better pitcher. I saw him briefly in the minor leagues when he was with the Indians organization, and he looks a lot different now than he did then. He was primarily a fastball slider pitcher when he was coming up. And recently added the split finger fastball. I think it's about a year old that he's worked on it. And is just another pitch that can get hitters off the fastball and the slider. So he has the chance to, I think, be a, a, a member of the Orioles bullpen this year that can work multiple innings, can provide a little bit of length. Uh, and is somebody that last year when he was with Tampa Bay had a good amount of success. Yeah, so let's get to it. We'll have Cole Solcer coming up, and then we'll talk to Melanie Newman for our Orioles Insider segment, and then we'll chat about the 2020 baseball season, which is finally upon us. And joining us right now is Orioles right-hander Cole Solcer uh, on the uh, precipice of this uh, pretty interesting 2020 baseball season. Cole, thank you so much for coming on. Well, no problem. Happy to be here. Well, let's start with just uh, the last few weeks in Orioles camp to get back in these very strange and bizarre circumstances. What has it been like? Yeah, I mean, it's been a different setup for sure. Uh, quite a different season than we're all used to. So it's been a lot of adjustments. I mean, I think everyone's doing their best. We're trying to make the most of it. But uh, it's definitely going to be a season of adjustments, I think. When you look at the, some of those adjustments like 
no high fives, um, not in the clubhouse any longer that you have to be, staggered arrival times, um, all the different restrictions, pitchers carrying a rag in their back pocket, having their own rosin bag. Has there been maybe one or two that has been the, the strangest? Honestly, one of the strangest to me is the no celebrations, just because it's so second nature. Uh, coming in like after an inning and either congratulating guys or congratulating teammates after they get a big hit, that to me is one of the weirdest things because it's just something we've done for so many years, being able to go up and give someone either a hug or a high five or you know anything. And so that's been really hard to just kind of subcon like stop that subconscious part of myself from doing that. Um, other than that, the rest is a little more conscious. It's a little bit easier to be like, okay, like I got to try to sit six feet away or, you know, be away from someone, um, wash my hands all the time, wear my mask all the time, coming to the field, that sort of thing. Those kind of become new routines that uh, are a little bit easier to get used to. But some of the on-field stuff uh, is a lot harder just because we already have these routines ingrained. Uh, so trying to break those habits and start new ones are a little tougher for us. When you get to the ballpark and you get out on the field and you're throwing a bullpen or you are stretching or you are playing long toss is there any moment in there where you're like this is you don't even think about it this is baseball this is what I've been doing my whole life yeah no lots of times it feels very normal and I'll say even like the exhibition games we played the scrimmage games it starts feeling very normal even though there's no fans in the stands you kind of get locked in you're you're focused on what you're trying to do whether that's throw to the hitter or if it's catch play throwing with your partner or, or throwing a bullpen. And then you're always, uh, so for the most part, when we're actually on the field, we get very much locked in. And that's kind of why that first habit of celebration is so hard to break is it starts feeling very normal. Um, but then you get little reminders that, hey, you know, it's kind of not a normal season. The, the no celebrations, having to get my own rosin bag versus just use the team one that's out there, having to bring my my own balls to the bullpen compared to using a team one because we don't want to have a bunch of people touching the same baseballs. So little reminders pop up uh, throughout the day for sure. The no fans thing for you, is it a little more normalized because you're not that far removed from playing in minor league parks where maybe on a Monday or Tuesday night, there's 20 people in the stands. Yeah. I feel like it's a little easier probably for me compared to uh you know, someone who's been in the big leagues for five, 10 years, and they're used to 30,000 people at every game. Um, I've definitely played some places in the minor leagues where exactly that you don't have much of a crowd, you don't have much of an atmosphere. And so you got to find a, a different way to kind of motivate yourself. Um, so I think that's made my transition probably a little easier to this season compared to other guys who are more used to the big league atmosphere. What was the uh, biggest crowd for, I don't know, a March game in Hanover, New Hampshire, while you were pitching for Dartmouth. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot there either. It's a pretty small school. Uh, we would definitely have some cold games where you're talking about it's uh, probably 10 people in the stands. I mean, don't get me wrong. We had plenty of games where we had lots of people there, but you're talking about those 20-degree days when it's snowing. Uh, we didn't end up with too much. Snowing, yeah. <laughs> you're from California. How did you end up at Dartmouth? Because – you had a good baseball career there, but if, if you're going to go to Dartmouth, you have to be a, a pretty bright guy to, to be able to make that happen. No, I appreciate it. I mean, the, the academics is honestly kind of what swayed me. I always took school as something serious. I wanted to do well in uh, as well as do well on the baseball field. Um, originally, I thought I was going to try to stay in California, play baseball on the West Coast. I mean, that's where I grew up. That's kind of the teams I grew up watching and 
everything. But uh, when Dartmouth contacted me and I was able to go check out the school and realize the level of education I could get while continuing to play Division One baseball, um, I decided it was an opportunity I really couldn't miss. And, you know, I wasn't the type of guy who was being offered big scholarships, big D1 programs knocking down my door. So for me, it seemed like a really good fit to be at a little bit of a smaller D1, get to pursue my academics, um, and keep playing baseball. Some of those Ivy League baseball programs have been around since uh, the dawn of baseball pretty much in America. So it has as much prestige as some of the big programs. But what was the caliber of baseball in the Ivy Leagues? I mean, I actually think it was – Good caliber baseball. We went and played some big schools. We went to uh, my freshman and sophomore year. We went to College World Series regionals. Um, so, you know, we never advanced to a super regional, but, uh, you know, we barely lost to Texas A&M in the eighth or ninth inning, three to two. We beat Florida International at a, at a regional. Um, we had played LSU in a preseason, hung with them pretty good for a, a game or two. Um, the biggest difference I felt like was a little bit of the depth. Uh, we could hang usually with some of the bigger programs for a game or two, but when it came to a three or four game series, we just didn't quite have the depth to compete there, um, which, you know, makes a big difference in baseball. One of your former Dartmouth teammates was Kyle Hendricks, who's been one of the better pitchers in the National League over the last five years. When you were at Dartmouth, what did you learn from, from Hendricks and, and how did he impact the way that you went about your business? Oh, for sure. I mean, both of us are Southern California guys. We were in the same grade at Dartmouth. And so we played together for three years until, you know, he left. And so a lot of it was um, pushing each other to be better, bouncing ideas off each other. I mean, obviously he's such an accurate guy. He takes his work so seriously. He's great at evaluating hitters. Um, and so it was kind of learning some of those things from him for sure and just bouncing ideas off each other and pushing each other to be better. Um, I think that was kind of something that hopefully benefited us both, but I definitely know I benefited from it for sure. Have you been able to stay in touch with him at all since, um, since he's gotten to the major leagues? How often do you talk? Yeah, I mean, we don't, you know, I'm not going to say we text every day or anything like that, but I definitely reach out to him and he reaches out to me and we keep in touch and talk. We usually get to see each other once or twice in off season, um, just kind of cross paths, that sort of thing. So we're definitely in touch. And I mean, I've seen him a, a couple times in off season for the last few years, for sure, get together for a weekend, that sort of thing, uh, along with some of our other former teammates. And it's been, uh, it's been great. Definitely still in touch and talk to him pretty often. Now, Cole, your boss of the Orioles, general manager Michael Elias, was an Ivy League pitcher. His senior year ERA, I looked up, was uh, 5.62 at Yale. He was a left-handed pitcher. Do you know what your senior year ERA was, just to kind of compare Ivy League pitchers and, and, and numbers? I do not know it off the top of my head. I am not positive. Well, I looked it up. It's, it's a few runs better than Michael Elias's. So you have that over him no matter how your time with the Orioles goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, Yale's a pretty good school, you know. So, That's true. Uh, That's true. You might have me there. Have you guys gotten to talk about your respective experiences, him at Yale and you at Dartmouth? Uh, a little bit. Not a ton. I mean, one of those – it is kind of funny, small world for sure, in terms of coming both from uh, such a small baseball league with only – you know, the eight Ivy League teams and a lot of the same coaches are still coaching in that league. So there's definitely been, I'm sure, some shared experiences playing at the same ballparks under the same coaches or opposing coaches, um, you know, so, but we haven't had a ton of time to just chat about uh, the good old days in the Ivy League. And for the record, in case uh, Michael Elias hears this, he is the uh, club's executive vice president. I, I have not pitched in any high level of baseball. So five, six, two ERA is still pretty good. 
just for the record, uh, to clear that one up. Uh, Cole, you were a 25th round pick out of an Ivy League school. What was your expectation going into draft day? Did you were you pretty confident over the the course of those days you get drafted? I was. I was. Ah, that's a tough one. I would say I was very hopeful. I thought there was a good opportunity. I felt like I had done well uh, in my college career, and I knew a fair amount of teams had reached out to me about my interest in being drafted and playing professional baseball. Um, I was very aware, however, though, that being a senior coming out of an Ivy League school, uh, you know, I was not expecting to go day one or day two. It was uh, one of those things where I very much was just hoping for an opportunity that a team would would give me that. And that's I was very thankful to the Indians for giving me that for sure. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise. It's not like I had talked to them a bunch. They kind of called me up a couple rounds before the 25th round. And they wanted to know actually if I had a job lined up, if I was going to play baseball or if I was going to pursue something else uh, career-wise. And I told them, no, I'm all in for baseball. I specifically want to ride this out as long as possible. And so. It was great. They drafted me after that and got to start my career. If you had decided to do something else besides baseball, it would have likely been in the engineering field uh, because that is what you study. How many engineering majors have you encountered since you've been in professional baseball? Oh, there's, I, I would say not a, not a, a whole lot. I could probably count them on one, maybe two hands. So um, definitely with all my teammates that I've played against or played with and gotten the opportunity to play with, uh, I can't say that a whole lot of them studied engineering, but I've come across a couple. So whenever your final uh, day in baseball does come, whether it's tomorrow or 10 years from now, is that the field you'll, you'll be getting into? Uh, it's definitely something I'm still interested in. Uh, I mean, it's, it's what I studied. I really am a big math science guy. Uh, so it's definitely an area that I'd be interested in pursuing a career after baseball. But like you said, the tough part is not knowing whether that's, you know, a week from now, 10 years from now, that sort of thing. So for now, my focus is 100% on baseball, and I kind of will look at the next venture when that time comes, but trying to postpone it as long as possible. When we had an Orioles Zoom recently with you, talked about liking hard data to be able to back up why some pitches work and why maybe it would be best to, to not throw some quite as much. Are there any other pitchers on the Orioles or any other guys that you've gotten to know in the game who maybe like information in that form like you do? Because your brain works in a certain way, but you maybe wouldn't think that, that a lot of other pitchers, their, their brains would quite function like that. I mean, I think a lot of guys are actually very open to it. Um, I, it kind of varies a hundred percent. Like for me, Another reason I became so open to it is because I, I felt like I was noticing some results and some success. But for sure, I mean, you know, you mentioned Kyle Hendricks earlier. He was an economics major and definitely a big guy who scouts and likes the analytics and looks into that kind of thing. Um, so he's been a former teammate of mine that is 100% in on it. Um, but no, I mean, there's been a lot of guys with the, when I played with the Rays, a lot of guys there bought into it because of the success that the team had had. Um, and so they were very much in on trying to find new pieces of information and things that could help them. So I think it's becoming a bigger and bigger part of guys kind of practice routine or at least off season program is trying to dive into some of that and hopefully come in the next year with some improvement based on the analytics. Can there be too much information given to you or to a player where you're like, all right, 
slow down. I still need to figure out how to throw this ball 60 feet and six inches. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I ran into that same problem and I think that's a very much a case by case basis. Um, I love the analytics, but at a certain point I have to definitely separate myself when I go and take the field. And I knew at first when I started receiving the information and starting receiving more advanced scouting reports, I kind of caught myself second guessing it because it was like uh, going out there and trying to almost treat it like a video game. Like, oh, well, I should throw this pitch in this location and this count because that's what the analytics say. And, and ultimately, you still have to go out there and be an athlete and be in the moment and perform. So I like it mostly as a, as a training tool and awareness tool. Um, but there can be an overload. And if you start diving in too deep, especially in competition, uh, it can be detrimental for sure. Director of Pitching Chris Holt is really good at breaking all these different things down to everybody. How does he simplify it so that everyone can understand it, regardless if they're a numbers guy like you or, or maybe if they're uh, maybe more of a generalist? Yeah, he, the thing I think he does so well is he's able to take the numbers and maybe what you're seeing data-wise and kind of replicate it like physically through maybe a drill or like a demonstration or even like watching video or something like that. So it's not just, Hey, you're getting around your slider. He's very good at saying you're getting around your slider most likely because of being in this position or this type of mechanical issue. And so it just makes the correlation a lot easier that you don't have to backtrack and try to figure out, okay, where am I going wrong? He's really, really helpful in saying this is, the end result, but this is why that end result is happening. So I think that's something he's been great at for sure. Interesting. All right, Cole, I want to roll through our fun five baseball questions real quick. First thing that comes to mind, and uh, we'll start with your favorite baseball movie. Oh, Bull Durham. Is that a pretty real minor league uh, experience? Pretty close? There's some aspects that are very spot on. There's some stuff that's uh, very accurate to minor league life for sure. And you played in Durham. Uh, I did. It was a cool experience last year. To that end, what's your favorite minor league city? You played in a bunch. Oh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. Most influential baseball person in your life? Uh, my dad. I mean, more as a, obviously a coach. It's not like he played baseball, but biggest impact on my career for sure. High school, senior year, batting average or ERA? No, uh, ERA. But what was it? Oh, my bad. I didn't even hit. I didn't hit. Wow. <laughs> I've been a pitcher only for so long. Um, so, I mean, I might have had one or two random at bats, but um, but no, I was a pitcher only. And my ERA, I you know it. Come on, tell me. I would have a tough time finding the exact number. I want to say right around a, a two, maybe high ones, maybe low twos. I would have to double check that. I know the strikeouts a lot more than I know the, the ERA. Give, give it to me. What were the strikeouts? How many per nine? I think I had like a hundred and thirty strikeouts in my season. Woo! Uh, any superstitions before a game? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, I used to be more superstitious still though. I would say, Oh, I'm trying to think the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I guess nothing too extreme. I, I can't think of one that I do absolutely every time. So I was probably more superstitious when I was a starter just because I had more of a routine and I was going to pitch, you know, once every five days and, you really get into kind of buying in on those little superstitions. As a reliever, you kind of got to learn to roll with the punches a little bit more. So some of those superstitions kind of like out the way. When you say as a starter, you mean 
the first day uh, in your rotation day is this, second day is that, third day, fourth day, to building up to the fifth day when you're on the mound. Yeah, and the day that you were on the mound, you knew you were going to pitch that day. So it was, you know, I, I had to make sure I had the same type of breakfast and I was maybe even wearing like a lucky shirt to the field or something like that. As a reliever, I might pitch two days in a row or might not pitch for four days. And so it was a little harder to kind of implement some of those uh, superstitions for sure. Now I'll ask one other one. Uh, when you were playing in the minor leagues, uh, quietest uh, ballpark experience that you had been in. We've all been in, in those spots where no one is there uh, during the, during some of those weekday games. What, what is the one where uh, maybe – the quietest experience you had at a minor league park? Yeah, I would have to say um, the two that come to mind are Batavia when I was in short season um, or Lynchburg, Virginia, where I played uh, some high eight there. Uh, both of those small towns. And if it was, you know, early in the season, especially a little bit of a chilly night, I remember in Lynchburg for like our home opener, I mean, there might've been 10, 15 people there. It was pretty dead quiet. <laughs> Now, your baseball reference page says you played in a short season A ball in the New York Penn League, uh, you know, a well-known league, in 2013 out of college, and you played for the Mahoning Valley Scrappers. Where is Mahoning Valley? Yeah, so that's in Ohio. It's about – it's uh, outside of Youngstown, Ohio, probably about 45 minutes an hour outside of Cleveland. Yeah, so it really wasn't too bad. I mean, getting drafted by the Indians and really only be an hour away from their hometown city. Um, but, it, you know, a little bit of a smaller town for sure. Last one for me. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, your brother, Bo, um, who is with the Pirates right now. How often do you uh, compare your experiences? Because you've reached the major leagues, but he's on the precipice. In fact, there was one game, I remember, in spring training where Pirates came into Sarasota and Bo was, was with the travel party. Correct. Yeah, that was a, a cool game for sure. He actually ended up warming up, not getting into the game. Otherwise, we both would have pitched in the same game there at spring training. Um, but we compare things all the time. I mean, it's been cool because he's also in the same – some of the same leagues that I played in, especially last year when he was in AA. Um, I had spent some time in the Eastern League. And so him getting to play in that same league, go to the same stadiums, uh, you definitely share some experiences, you know. Um, and we definitely talk about it all the time. I mean, I'm – on the phone with him probably every other day, almost every day, either texting or talking or calling. Um, and so for sure, we're comparing different minor league stories, situations, um, as well as the, the good and the bad that I've gone through and things to be aware of for him. So hopefully uh, it helps him out in the long run. But it's been great sharing that experience with him. Last one, and we'll end on this. You have a teammate, also a pitcher, named Cole Stort, spelled K. O-H-L, you are spelled C-O-L-E. What is the correct spelling of Cole? Oh, it's, it's got to be mine. Come on. Got to medical C comes before, so it's, it's <laughs> Orioles right-hander. Uh, best of luck, best of help this season, Cole. We really appreciate it. That was fun. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Take care. Well, really fun conversation there with Cole Solcer. And now we go to our Orioles Insider segment. Our colleague and friend, Melanie Newman, Joins us right now, Melanie Fresh off calling the Orioles and Nationals exhibition game along with Jeff Arnold. And Melanie, it has to feel good uh, as we kind of venture into this uh, brave new world here for baseball to get that first play-by-play uh, -play -play game under your belt in this version of spring training. It really does, and especially when you look at the fact, you know, there's been one game at least for me since September of last year. So 
you're looking at one game in a little over a year's time almost, and it's nuts. But being back in the booth, and honestly, it's crazy because as quiet as it was, I mean, it felt like it was just the three of us in the entire park. Um, it provided a very calming setting, uh, you know, that helps with the nerves of the fact of like, okay, we have to do this, but we have to do it really weird. <laughs> just how weird was it? Because I know for me, it took like, an inning just to remember how to do baseball again because it had been so long since we called any actual games. But what was your first experience like uh, doing a game off a monitor? I keep going back to the fact that I feel really lucky that this team that we have, especially with you, Brett, and Kevin, um, we already have that good relationship with each other, and I think we all have that natural chemistry to just roll off. So the weirdest part about it was when you walked in the booth, but it wasn't my booth and I had to look at you through the glass, like, Hey, from afar, um, you know, and, and there's not like the hugs and the handshakes and stuff like that. Um, but once, once it settled in and, and I really, you know, realized, okay, we're just, that's what we have is the monitor and that's it for whatever reason I was comfortable with that. I really didn't mind it that much. Um, and you know, you look at some of the stadiums where, you might not have the best view or you might be three miles up like we would have been at Nationals Park. Um, getting to have that camera that's looking right in at home plate, like, thank you, I'll take that. That's a good point. All right, let's talk about this 2020 Orioles team. Uh, name a player or two you're looking forward uh, to watching this season when uh, the games start to count here. Oh, gosh. I'm really curious to see. Uh, I'll go with a position player and a pitcher here, but between Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey, uh, just knowing that, you know, their whole goal has been that they want to be able to stay healthy and having a short season is kind of primed to be able to give them that opportunity and to see, you know, just what they're able to accomplish. Hayes is finally getting that first real bona fide chance to be that everyday center fielder right now. And for Harvey, the buzzword for him is closer. Um, they've all talked about he's got the stuff. He's got the velocity certainly to do it. And obviously right now he's just got to get rid of that uh, dead arm feeling. John Meads is kind of going through the same thing right now. Do you think Orioles fans should be concerned about kind of the, the status of, of means? I mean, how, what's your level of concern? I wouldn't treat it with a ton of concern. And I only say that because Brandon Hyde has done such a terrific job at being a very transparent manager. Um, and he's, he's told us when, hey, like this sounds, it's like it's simple. You know, it's a fractured finger or it's a fractured wrist, but that's going to kill their season. And then the other guys, you know, with, with Dwight Smith Jr. and with John Means. And he said, yeah, they're, they're going to be here. Don't worry about it. Like, just because they're on the IL right now, um, that's not a factor. That's a permanent removal from the 2020 season. I think Means is a little less serious than what's going on with Harvey from the sounds of things. Uh, so, you know, whether that's skipping that first time through the rotation and then coming back, but I don't see him missing more than, like, two scheduled starts. And Melanie, I know uh, we bounce around a lot with different roles. Uh, tell us about your first week or so and where our listeners and Orioles fans can find you across our broadcasts. Yeah, so it's crazy. Um, I kind of love that we get to be a little bit of everywhere, but I actually have those first three games against the Red Sox off, um, which I feel fortunate in that regard only because it's going to give me the time to really breathe and move into the city that we were supposed to move into four months ago. Um, but then apart from that, I'll be doing pre and post game when the Orioles play the Miami Marlins that's in Miami. And for the rest of the season, those next 57 games, it's going to shift between uh, play by play, a little bit of sidelines, and then continuing in with pre and post uh, with you. So just 
switching around. They kind of have to just watch all of our different platforms to catch me. And of course, we're still doing the grind on Instagram every Wednesday. And, and so that's been fun as well. Yeah, the grind has been uh, fantastic. That's on Instagram. Wednesdays, it drops uh, 11 a.m., right, Melanie? Yes, sir. All right. Fantastic. Well, we look forward to seeing you more at the ballpark, even though we are uh, still social distancing and, and have a great season. And we'll talk to you down the road here on Inside the Yard. I can't wait to see you guys through the window. <laughs> cool. Well, that was a full and fun first episode, Cole Solcer and Melanie Newman. And Jeff, that's one of the books in our new podcast, Inside the Yard. It's cool that we get to talk about real baseball going on. We're, it's been so much fun connecting with some of these, these Orioles legends. We had a lot of them on um, our, our previous uh, podcast where we, we were looking at Orioles magic from years past. But it's, it's going to be really fun to talk to these guys and have more extended conversations where we're not only talking about baseball, we're getting to know them as human beings. And I think that's something that uh, all of Birdland will, uh, will enjoy. I, I certainly, certainly did uh, doing this first episode. And just to uh, keep our listeners in the loop on this, uh, for this first weekend series and this podcast dropping on a Friday, uh, the first uh, day of the Orioles season, they're in Boston for the next three nights, and then they go to Miami. Uh, I'll be hosting O's Extra with Mike Bordick on Masson, the pre- and post-game show. And you will be in the radio booth from Oriole Park at Camden Yards uh, calling this road trip in the first series with uh, Kevin Brown. Yeah, I'm excited to, to work with Kevin. Uh, he's terrific. We, we uh, got to meet each other uh, at spring training. We talked a decent amount uh, over the quarantine. But it will be our first ever broadcast together uh, coming up on Friday night. So uh, I think we were supposed to do initially the exhibition game at the Naval Academy against the Mets. And those plans were, were scrapped uh, for, for COVID-19 reasons. But, but we'll have fun. And uh, for me, um, most of my work this year will be on the Orioles radio network. Uh, so I'll be there for, for most of the games, do a couple on Masson, which should be, should be fun as well. Uh, but I will be there. And then I will be working with you um, for the series against the Marlins, where Melanie's doing some pregame and postgame. So it'll be great to, uh, to reunite uh, two former uh, Dickinson Red Devils, uh, WDCV, going back to those days, doing a, a Major League Baseball series. I think that will be first in school history. That, that would be really great. And we got to do some spring games together in Sarasota and around the Grapefruit League. But looking forward to it, I'll be bouncing around all season uh, between the sideline reporter role on the telecast pre- and postgame uh, for O's Extra on Mass and, and then doing uh, a bunch of radio games with you, Jeff. So uh, very much looking forward to all of that. And I hope everyone has a chance to enjoy the baseball coming up this week. And before we say our goodbyes, I want to let everyone know that this podcast will now be dropping on Tuesdays and Fridays uh, throughout the course of the season. And also we will be having uh, Q&As and taking email and uh, tweeting questions from our listeners, Jeff. So one way to get a hold of us is by emailing Podcast at orioles.com. That's orioles.podcast at orioles.com if you have a question that we'll get to in our shows. Also, you can tweet us. Um, my Twitter handle is at Brett Hollander. And for you, Jeff, it is... At Jeff on the air, and that is Jeff with a G. So just make sure you, you make that adjustment. But it's not G off. It's Jeff. Yes, exactly. Just like it's not Cole, it's Cole. <laughs> Two different spellings, and that's Okay. Uh, and, and for me, uh, Jeff, I have just James Earl Jones in my head this whole week getting ready for baseball and the great monologue from Field of Dreams and uh, thinking 
uh, about that wonderful speech and, and the impact of baseball and what it means to the country. And that's, to me, what this 60-game season is all about, just getting lost in a baseball game. It's getting lost in a baseball game and getting lost in some exciting baseball, too. 60-game sprint. We talked about this in the exhibition game, which is the day before we, we tape this, that managers are going to manage these games like playoff games. And that there is something that's inherently exciting in that. And while there may not be fans in the stands, the fact is that when everyone is going into first place at the very end of July, I think you can be able to create your own energy out of that. And that will certainly carry the teams as we get this season underway. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us all of once was good. And on that note, have a great first series calling the games, Jeff. And I hope our listeners and our audience uh, enjoy some baseball and some Orioles baseball back here in 2020. Better late than never. And heck of a first inside the yard. Absolutely. Brett, looking forward to doing this every week. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Be safe and be well, everyone. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy the baseball.